you know, really we change when things become painful enough, right? And, and I know that sounds kind of negative, um, but I'll, I'll give you an example just from my personal experience. It was in that moment for me that was so painful, that moment where I knew before then I should have been working out, I should have been eating right, I should have been doing those things. I knew beforehand that I should have done those things, but it wasn't a must. I didn't have to do them until it became painful enough. Um, and now, ever since then, Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to amazing professionals and ask them all about how they're using data to solve the world's problems. We're highlighting all of the skills that data professionals use on a daily basis. Plus, we always include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we love to have fun. So today with us, we have Anthony Santianis. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm, I'm doing good, Monica. Uh, we are got quite a bit of rain out here in East Texas, uh, going on day three here, but otherwise, good to go. Staying dry. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw California was like all kinds of flooded. Over here mm -hmm. in Arizona, it's raining. So it's it's lots of rain, but we don't get a lot of rain. So that's really good for us in the desert. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> So we start off our episodes by understanding people's origin stories. So if you could please tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today in your career. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I've watched some of your videos, Monica, and some of your interviews, and I think I, I fit in that bucket with those where it, was, it wasn't it was as intentional as you would think. Um, you know, when I started off, it's funny, growing up, I always thought I was going to be like a nuclear biological chemical researcher for the military. So if you've ever watched the movie The Rock uh, with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, um, Nicolas Cage, he's like the scientist, right? I always related to the scientist. Uh, same thing with uh, the movie Outbreak with the little monkey that carries the disease. I always related to, you know, they're, they're both military based and, and I always related to the scientists. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and then I, so I actually went into college uh, for my undergrad as a chemistry major and about halfway into the semester realized that that was not going to work out. Uh, my advisor, he actually told me, he said, Hey, look, you know, Anthony, it only gets harder from here. You know, if you're having a hard time now, it's only going to get worse. Uh, and so I actually ended up, uh, my bachelor's degree is actually in health and wellness. Uh, my mom's a nurse. My dad works in a VA hospital. My One of my younger brothers, uh, he was an x-ray tech. And so I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I'll go down the sort of medical path, right? Do something like that. Well, then I commissioned in the Army as an ordinance officer, specializing in ammunition and maintenance management. And uh, ended up being we kind of in the Army, they, they group ordinance, transportation, all those logistics groups. They, they, we just group them as logistics. And I didn't call it analytics back then. You know, we just called it, you know, logistics. Um, but there was a lot of analysis involved in that. And kind of like one of the cooler projects I got to work on, this was in 2012, my second deployment to Iraq, uh, got to, was there and we're, we're planning the shutdown of a base. So we're shutting down operations. And so there's a lot of sort of looking at demand, looking at, you know, what's our forecast for consumption of ammunition, fuel, food, everything under the sun. Because you're, you're sort of on this, this, not quite a razor's edge, but you know, anything you bring in, if it's left, you've got to take it with you, right? And you also don't want to run out of stuff either, right? You don't want to run out of food two days before you're supposed to leave, you know? So so it's a sort of, again, this razor's edge that you've got to play on. And so I got to work with this really cool team. And again, we didn't call it analytics back then, but it's a lot of looking at consumption rates and forecast rates. And, 
in that piece where you're, you are doing a bit of analysis. And then, um, you know, that mission of being really successful, I ended up getting out of the Army in 2013 and got into manufacturing. And that's really, I think, where the data piece really sort of kicked in. So I got my Lean Six Sigma Black Belt certification, really focused on process improvement. And that's really, again, um, I don't know that I called it, I didn't want to say that I was a data professional then. At the time, I was still in operations, and then I got into quality management. Uh, but but that was really where I noticed it was this shift of most of my work being around data, right? Where's our problems in the business? What does it cost us? You know, what are we forecasting that to be in the future? How can we address that? Doing those, those answering those types of questions with data and analysis. And then uh, did that for about four years. I was in manufacturing, and now I'm with Promile Software, the company I'm with today. Fantastic company. They are, uh, we specialize in, in software for the trucking industry. And while I am no developer by any means, I get to spend my most of my day looking at different types of data for the business. So what I do now, uh, I'm a strategic planner here at Promile. So what I do, most of my work, I call it future work. We have people that are coming today saying, what does current state look like? You know, whether it's financials, whether it's in our Salesforce CRM data, our phone call data, chats. I mean, I get to take all these different data sources, compile them, organize them, build them out in some cases, and then share, hey, here's where you're at. This is what I would advise you to do. You know, here's sort of how I might approach that. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that up until probably the last couple of years, I wouldn't have called myself a data professional. Um, but definitely today, I, I would describe myself as such. Awesome. Yeah, I know the buzzwords have changed a lot. I kind of gravitate mm -hmm. to data professional instead of, you know, saying analyst or scientist or engineer, uh, just because I, I, I actually believe that a lot of us, even if you're not a data in your title, mm -hmm. that you are you are working with data because it is everywhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's it's funny, you know, what I like, one of the things I really like about what I do now is, is you know, I'm very data agnostic. Like, I don't care what the data is. If you've got data you want me to look at, you want me to do something with it, I will do it for you. Uh, and so, you know, for me, again, it's, it's such a blast for me because, you know, like this morning I was working, I was in Salesforce and one of our administrators. And so I get to work in on the back end, building out those objects and flows and automations so we can visualize what's going on in there and, and do those processes. And this afternoon I'll be working on 2023 financial analysis, you know, and so Again, like, I mean, it's just that much of movement from one task to the next. It's just, for me, it's a blast. I have, I have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, data is fun. <laughs> so you said that you don't care what kind of data you want to play with it. What what are your favorite data sets to work with or maybe favorite data problems to solve? So I'm definitely, I like people data problems. Um, so my, my master's degree is in industrial and organizational psychology. So psychology of the workplace, right? So how do you... When you think about how do individuals and teams affect an organization's profitability, growth, uh, valuations, and conversely, how does an organization affect individual performance, morale, those kinds of things? That's something I'm really excited about. Uh, I've actually trained with the John Maxwell team. I've trained with the Tony Robbins team. Uh, so I, I really enjoy leading and sort of those, those people type problems. So like one of the things that I recently got to work on is we're looking at um, how do we sort of staff effectively for one of our, you know, we'll call it a call center. Um, one of our customer support groups. And so, you know, so I got to look at a lot of phone call data, meeting data. So I get to see, we get to tie in their schedules and when our customers are calling and when are chat requests coming in and to identify, sort of optimize using some inventory optimization models to go, okay, let's assume our inventory is our hours, like our labor capacity, right? And now let's assume demand is, those, again, those minutes on each call, those minutes for a chat, whatever that might be. 
And, you know, sort of what does that optimal schedule look like or staffing look like? Um, and so like those are the kinds of problems that I really like to solve to really help people understand, hey, where do my people need to be? When do they need to be there? And maybe even who's the best person to be in that position? Those are um, I mean, I like all the other problems, too, you know, but, but I really like the people related ones. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fun stuff that you can do with people and behavior related data oh. for sure. It sounds like you use a lot of different data sets all the time. What kind of things do you look for or do you need to be aware of when you're combining uh, different data sets? The uh, probably, you know, when, when I think about that, the, the biggest thing I find or the biggest challenge that I have, I'll say, because um, that, that's for me, the biggest thing is sort of what's that common link. Um, so, for example, and you know, if we want to get real technical, you know, what's sort of like your record ID? Right. What's your what's your record ID that, that's going to transpire across these three, four different data sets? So, you know, as an example, um, you know, here at ProMiles, our phone call data isn't directly tied into like our Salesforce data. So in order for you to tie the two, there's a little bit of manual work that you would that you have to do in order to match those things up nicely. Um, so for me, I would say if you're, if you're going to start combining data sets, be prepared to create whatever that unique, whatever that thing that is that ties those things together so that you can then, you know, plaster that across whatever you're going to do. Uh, you know, we we use Power BI or Excel, um, of course, Salesforce. So inherently Tableau has got a play in there as well. Um, so we got you know quite different tools in there. But again, the, the biggest thing is, is how do all those different data sets connect? What's that connector between them where we can now cross all of those seamlessly? Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know what's your most like bizarre data set that you wanted to use with a current uh, combination of data sets that you're working with. I'll give an example. I worked in an electricity company and I was looking at incident tickets and we were seeing like incidents that were happening in the field. And I wanted to look at weather and see if it was weather related. So we had to look at things like dates, locations, times in order to combine those different data sets together. And the results were fascinating. <laughs> gotcha. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's so actually weather related as well. So when I was in manufacturing, uh, we had, so I was in steel manufacturing, right. And so we all know steel rust, right. Because of the iron that's in it. Right. Um, so it, it's actually, you know, you wouldn't think of steel as something that has like a shelf life. You know, you think it's steel, right. It, it would last forever, but yeah. things like humidity changes in temperature can drastically affect the surface of that. So like you think about your car, for example, right? You wouldn't want a pitted, rusted side panel, right? You want that thing to look nice, right? If you're buying a brand new car. So inherently the manufacturers want it that way as well. You know, so just as an example. And so, so there actually is, you know, you, you have to do a, you want to really protect it. And so we actually did an experiment with um, rust preventative products. And it's funny you bring up weather because that's exactly what we did. So we wanted to see, you know, we had a current product we've been using for years. We had we had a couple of vendors come in, give us some free samples and let's just test them all out. And so we tested some inside, some outside to see sort of what were the conditions that, that you know, there was one, for example, that as soon as water touched it, I mean, it rusted, even with the rusty preventative on it instantly. Turns out it was just it just was not a good product. Um, and then but as long as it was inside, it did really well at protecting against humidity. You just couldn't touch it directly with like droplets of water. Conversely, we had another product. We would actually take these steel squares and we would only we would do half of it with the preventative. Half was bare. And I've got pictures somewhere. But you can see after a few days, the side that had the preventative completely clean, brand new looking. The other side completely rusted as if it had been out there for years. Um, and so, yeah, so it was uh, really cool. That was probably one of the cooler experiments. Kind of we talk about 
you know, different types of projects that I got to do. That was one of them for sure. That's awesome. Very interesting. <laughs> so at this time, I've been having lots of fun talking about different problems, different data sets, but I want to deep dive into some fun bits, if that's okay. Okay. I know we talked a little bit previously about some hobbies that you have, and I now see the connection maybe um, to your health and wellness background. You like to um, garden and track certain things in your garden with spreadsheets. Is that right? That is. That is. So, yeah. So, so you're, you're spot on. Uh, so my wife and I and our four kids, we've got uh, about four and a half acres out here in East Texas. And um, and so yeah, we, we got I say this. My wife's been gardening for much longer than I have. I've only gotten into it in the last couple of years. But but um, and we've got chickens now, too. And so. Uh, we started with chickens about uh, two years ago now. I think April or May will be two years. Um, and I made the mistake of not collecting data to begin with, um, but we started collecting data last June. And so we actually connect, we actually track all of our egg production. So we know every day how many eggs we're collecting. Um, and we know, for example, if you were to Google, like, like what affects egg productivity, or if you were going to chat GBT and ask, hey, how do I get my, egg, my chickens to lay more eggs? It's going to say things like, you know, give them more protein, um, maximize sunlight exposure, you know, those kinds of things. But we know things like, you know, for example, it's seasonal. You know, you can put lamps, you can do those kinds of things as well. But but the thing for us, we want to see is as much as possible without without sort of affecting, you know, directly trying to influence it, what actually affects that, you know? And so as we look at it, we track this. And one of the things that we also track is like our food, the type of food we buy. It's protein content, um, how much it costs, how much, how much are they consuming on a daily basis, weekly basis? And so we actually track right now since last June, we've actually been tracking their egg production per hen uh, per day. We do a seven day, 15 day, 30 day rolling averages. Uh, we also track the cost. So we know what our cost per egg is. We know what our cost per dozen is. So as this farm grows and becomes a, a business, um, we'll actually know how to price those eggs. And then even cooler than that, uh, at least cool to me and, you know, and, and cool to those of us that are you know, interested in, in egg productivity. Uh, you know, when we look at this going forward, we'll also overlay all that light and weather data, you know, this weather data that we just talked about. So we know for, so what will be really interesting to see as, as we do this, as we get a full year of data in, because I really want to see, a, cause just because of the seasons, you know, I want to get a full year in. And what we'll be able to see is, you know, really how much of an impact is that? So like we know, okay, yeah, the more light, the better, but, but how much better is that? an extra couple eggs a week? Is that an extra 30 eggs a week? You know, what is, you know, what about per hen? You know, what is that actually, you know, what are the actual hard values there? Um, and then on top of that, what we'll be able to do is optimize their diet, um, their, their feeding schedules. I mean, we'll be able to do so many cool things there. And then even kind of going even beyond that, as this grows, we think about chicken purchases. So we know, for example, again, if you were to Google this, this isn't, this isn't hard information to find out. But if you were to Google it, you know, what they'll tell you is that a hen's productivity is as highest in its first year of life. And so if we take it, so we bought our first set of hens, I believe it was late April, early May in 2022, and they didn't start laying until August. So again, if you think about the, if you think about optimizing that buy schedule, right, if we know, so think about summer solstice, right? Summer solstice is in June. So that's the longest day of the year. So when do you want your chickens laying by? probably by summer solstice, right? That's when you get the most productivity. So this also will help us time purchases. This will, I mean, it, it'll have so much impact on our business. And for me, it's fun because not only do I do, I do this, you know, so yes, 
you know, from approximately eight to five central time, Monday through Friday. Yes, I'm at ProMiles, I'm, I'm analyzing data, but then on the weekends, I get to do this as well. Um, you know, much smaller data sets, of course, but still just an absolute blast. And, and then we'll do the same thing with our garden as well. When you look at soil content, when you talk about the chemistries of soil. So that's still very early on. Um, you know, in Six Sigma, we talk about DOEs, design, you know, design of experiments, and that they're based on gardening, right? The, the, the whole idea of a DOE is based on how they used to rotate crops to determine whether or not, you know, what affected productivity. And so now um, it's a little bit of a homage to my Six Sigma black background as well, you know, which is, which is kind of cool to be able to tie that back together and go all the way back to that. Um, and then, yeah, the, I'd say the other cool thing, just as a final note, I feel like I'm rambling, but, you know, as a final note, you know, the other cool thing about it too, is you get to, um, you know, and most of the work that I do, we, we control a lot of, it. you know, like, like we control when people are available. We can control our office hours. We can control the technology we use, right? Um, and this is one of those areas where like, we don't get to control the sunlight. We don't get to control when it rains. We don't get to control um, whether or not, you know, to some extent we get to control soil content, um, but there's still a lot that mother nature controls there. And so it's, it's also this, this opportunity to um, kind of be humbled a little bit uh, for, you know, as, I, as a data analyst, it's kind of humbling because you don't get to control everything. Um, but again, and the, but it's also an opportunity to collaborate with Mother Nature. And so, um, yeah, a ton of fun, a, a ton of fun. I'll say that. That does sound like a lot of fun. <laughs> and I see a huge tie with this in your work at work with uh, process improvement, right? Because oh, yeah. you're oh, yeah. trying to improve the way that you're, you know, if, where you can and what you can control the productivity of the eggs and, and the garden and, and whatnot. So I'm, I'm curious, what type of skills do you learn or use in your hobby that you bring back to work? Um, so I would say, you know, when I, I, I think, honestly, I don't, know if, I don't know if I would call it a skill. I would say it's probably more like a, a characteristic. Um, and I'll bring it up again is that humility piece. Um, you know, a lot of times, so so early on, you know, in, as I started my Lean Six Sigma journey, as I kind of really got into the data analytics journey, you know, it was all about, we focused a lot on regression models, right? So, okay, how do I, in order to predict the future, I want I want the highest, you know, R square value, right? The most predictive value as possible. And so, you know, you're trying to get as close to 100%, right? Because if I have an R square of 100%, then I then I can account for 100% of the variation in this, this mathematical model. And so, you know, that, that was always the goal. Um, and I was always frustrated if I couldn't get it, say, 70 percent or 80 percent. Um, and then, uh, you know, but, so but at the same time, you know, it doesn't mean that it's useless. It just means that you just there may be some things you just don't have as much control over. Um, and so what it's taught me, though, um, kind of going through this process is, you know, when, I, when, I, when I'm modeling at work, right, when I get to do these regression models and things, being OK with not having it 100 percent or or, you know, only being able to count for, say, 60, 70 percent of the variation you know, and acknowledging, hey, look, I don't know the rest of this. I can't explain this part yet. Um, but no, you know, but here's what I think it might be. And here's what influence it might have. Right. And being and like and being OK with that. That's sort of uh, I would say. So I don't know if I don't know if that's a skill, um, but I would say it's definitely uh, a quality that I appreciate more. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good reality check for like evidence on you don't control and you can't control everything. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've not always had chickens. You've not always had, you know, <laughs> gardens and, and whatnot. 
and there were things that you needed to learn in order to get to where you are today. So my question is, how do you go about learning new things? So I'm definitely a, you know, kind of show me and then let me do it type person. Um, you know, and not doesn't always have to be the case. I will say this. I always have to do it. Um, I, I rarely learn by just someone telling me or by someone uh, showing me one time and then six months from now, I can just pull that out. Right. And do that. Usually, you don't have a great memory like that. No, no. no. It's, it's funny you say that, actually. So another story from from my undergrad year. So when I was a freshman, so I went to a military college. I went to the Citadel in South Carolina and uh, we had I remember we had this sort of as a freshman, we got to go in and there was this my classmates. And I think there were 18, 19 of us. And we were you're in companies just like in the military. And in our company, we had I think 18 or 19 of us. And we had this meeting with our academic advisor. You have this sort of group, this sort of company level academic advisor. And he asked us to raise our hands. And he said, he says, all right, who in here has a photographic memory? And at the and he's like, you know, he's like, you remember everything that someone tells you. And I remember at the time I was like, that's me. I've got, you know, I'm one of those people. And I think like half of us raised our hand, like not really understanding what that term meant. And he kind of like, he kind of looked at us weird and he's like, Oh, that's probably statistically, that's not likely that this many people will just randomly be photo, have a photographic memory. And, and again, I had this similar conversation about halfway through the semesters I had with my, my academic advisor for my, as, for my degree, where he's kind of like, hey, so it doesn't look like you have a photographic memory, Anthony. Uh, clearly your grades aren't, <laughs> you know, they would not support that. And so, um, but I ended up, uh, so, so no, yeah, I, I don't remember that that well. Um, but what I, what I usually do best is if, um, if, if you can show me, walk me through it and then let me do it, uh, you know, this is a great example. Um, CFI, uh, CFI education, they have programs, um, corporate finance, finance Institute, forgive me, CFI, if I, if I misquoted that. Um, but they, uh, they actually have a great program where you go through the videos and then they, they have, you know, Excel sheets or you're in power BI or you're in Tableau or you're, you know, you're coding in Python, right? You're doing something immediately after the lesson. So that kind of, sticks with you. Um, so for me, I find that that is the best way for me to learn. Do you just do it after the course or do you repeatedly do it afterwards to kind of solidify it more? Oh yeah. I try to find any excuse to redo it. Uh, there's, it's funny. It's funny you say that. So again, going back to the CFI courses. So I took some courses over the last couple of years and um, it's everything that I've done in there. I've tried to bring over to ProMiles. And so it's somewhere. It's in a presentation. No one, no one ever asked for it. No one's looking for this. No one said, hey, Anthony, what is, you know, can you calculate these ratios or, or whatever it might be? No one's asking for that. But I wanted to make sure, OK, let me make sure you know, I re retain this because at some point this will be important. Um, and so I actually so I get, oh, yeah, as much as possible. Um, same thing with Power BI. I mean, I, I try to bring over again, even if no one's asking for this, I'm going to go ahead and prepare this, set up some automations behind the scenes to kind of keep it going for me. But let me sort of again redo that again just with but with our data this time are there any other specific resources that you like to go back to for learning um so you know i think from a data perspective uh you know i think like most you know i'm a youtube I'm, you know i love youtube right um uh, most of my stuff i would say again cfi has been the biggest resource lately and then um that one, you know what? I think I'm just going to give kudos to CFI. Uh, that's really been sort of my main data learning source the last couple of years. Yeah. That's awesome. I have not used them, so I'll need to check them out for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Especially again, and I say that if you, if you have a real like finance focus, which has really been where my 
a lot of my focus has been the last couple of years on the financial side of things. That's where it's really useful because they do. You've got, for example, they have like a financial modeling evaluation course. So, you know, how do you model a company's finances and how do you determine valuation for them? Um, and so they've got a pretty extensive program. You know, it's not just a one hour class. You're going to go through quite a bit. And I think, Monica, you could probably fly through a good bit of it. Uh, but again, I think for, for, for those of us that were new to sort of the finance component of it, that was something for me that, that was a really lot of significant lessons there. Um, and they even do like a certification exam at the end with minimum pass requirements, which, which I always like. You know, if you're going to give me a certification, like require me to earn it, you know. Um, so I always like to, even if that means I got to retake the test uh, from time to time, I'm OK with that because I think it adds legitimacy to that process. I love that perspective because I'm guilty of this too, where you're just taking all of these classes mm -hmm. and getting these certificates and it just gives you that kind of like dopamine. You're like, yes, I got this. <laughs> I have the certificate. Go me. And then it's like, well, what did you do really to earn that certificate? Mm -hmm. You might have, you know, there's so many different things. It's like just watching some videos versus all the way up to taking actual exams, even going down to a testing center and taking a more serious like proctor exam. Yeah. And it really like gives more um, legitimacy to it, like you were saying. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah I'll, I'll say this about Salesforce. I'm actually in the process of getting my Salesforce administrator certification. And that one I've taken before and have yet to pass that by far uh, for anyone that's interested in that. I will say this, that is they tell you to, to, to get about a year or two of experience as an admin. And I was like, nah, I'll just I'll just do the training. I'll just watch the videos and you know, I'll just go through their prep courses and all that. Um, and I'm going on a little over a year now. So I think I've just now hit, the, hit about 12 months of, of admin experience. Um, but I realized like there's a reason why they tell you to wait a year because uh, it is not just about, the you know, um, trying to memorize slide decks or things like that. I mean, you really got to know it uh, for that particular exam. So mm -hmm. kudos to them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious what made you take that uh, or pursue that specific certification? So I got, um, so I, it wasn't intentional to, to, to become an admin for Salesforce. I think it's funny. I, I, I talked to other admins from time to time, just do chats and things like that. And it's funny how many of us didn't choose to become administrators for Salesforce. Um, usually what happens is somebody in the company was an administrator and then they left and they needed somebody else. And so you kind of get tapped on the shoulder and, uh, and, and, and kudos to the leadership team at ProMiles because I mean, they did ask me, uh, you know, if I wanted to do it. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't see why, you know, I don't really have a good reason not to. Uh, and so I'm always a fan, you know, if you're, if, if a certification exists for that, right. Um, it's, it's one of those things, again, it, it, to me, just because of my experience, I have had from time to time, I meet folks that, that have done, have quote unquote done something. Um, and, and when you meet them, you talk to them about it, they might have done it, but it was somewhat minimal, right. Or they had minimal engagement with it. Um, and so I, I wanted that certification again, just to kind of add some, some legitimacy to my experience to say, Hey, look, you know, this wasn't like a part-time thing. This was like a legitimate commitment to, to not just being an administrator, but to my growth, to my development, to the organization and how we're using Salesforce. So if there is a need for it, then go for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, Anthony, do you have any final recommendations, any advice for folks that are new to data out there? 
Sure. So um, I'll give two two pieces of advice. Um, number one, um, realize that you may not be as new to data as you think you are. Right. And I kind of I told you my story. If, if you if you look back, you may have actually been dealing with data in different ways. And again, you didn't you just didn't call it that. Right. So um, you know, be humble, but also acknowledge your work, your previous work that that has contributed to you becoming a data professional. Um, but the second point, or I'll say, and the second point that, that I'll make is. Um, what I, a conversation that I frequently have when I meet new data, even well, even experienced data professionals, really people in general that are trying to make a change. Oftentimes what I find, I think that's, as a data professional, one of our responsibilities is to drive change, right? As a data professional, I think you have the responsibility to provide clarity. Like that's, you know, your job is to tell people what is current case? You know, what is the, what is, what is the or current state? You know, what are we actually, what do things actually look like? Provide clarity and certainty. Um, and I think another, but another piece of that is not just to say, hey, here it is, you know, good luck. It's also to say, what should you do next? And, and I think oftentimes data professionals get stuck on that what to do next, um, or specifically they're trying to give recommendations or trying to get people interested in something and they're just not getting attention. Um, so I, I've got to present at conferences where, you know, I'll tell people what I'm presenting on. And of course, I only present the times it works, right? I'm not going to present the time that the, the project didn't work or they didn't approve it. So of course, I'm only going to show you the good times, but um, you know, and, and so they, but I'll, I'll share that and they'll go, ah, oh, that would never work in my organization. They, they would never sign off on that. They don't, uh, they don't really focus on that, whatever that might be. Um, or I'll get the, you know, yeah, well, you know, they tend to focus more on this or this seems to be more of a priority, whatever that might be. And so, you know, they'll explain that they have a problem or a project they're working on and they just can't get people to get excited for it. Right. I'm not even trying to get by They're trying to get people to pay attention to it. And um, I learned this from Tony Robbins, the Tony Robbins team, that you you have to, and this is going to sound bad, but I, I promise that this will make sense. You know, really we change when things become painful enough, right? And, and I know that sounds kind of negative, uh, but I'll, I'll give you an example just from my personal experience. Uh, there was a time, this was a few years ago now, uh, where we were visiting uh, my my wife's parents. They, they have some land out here in East Texas as well. Uh, and, and on their property, they've got this nice, I mean, steep hill. This thing's a good quarter mile, half mile. I mean, this is, and this thing's a workout. Uh, and I remember when I was in the army, it never bothered me to come up and down this hill with the kids, right? Never a big deal. And, but when I got out of the army, it's a couple, you know, five or six years had passed. And, you know, I'd kind of gotten away from all those, those habits, right? Of eating right, exercising right, sleeping right, doing those things. And uh, there came this time where the, one, I'm, I'm coming up the hill and about halfway, I get stuck. Like I am exhausted. I'm seeing stars. I can't breathe. And my kids, you know, granted, I was in my young, I'm, I was a young 30 something, you know, at the time. And it was, I'm not like, you know, I'm not 95 years old, you know, um, you know, I, I'm in my young 30s and I'm like, this shouldn't be the case. And and so my kids, I remember they kind of looked at me like concerned and and they and like, are you OK? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'll just go ahead, you know, and, and I kind of struggled. But it was in that moment for me that was so painful, that moment where I knew before then I should have been working out. I should have been eating right. I should have been doing those things. I knew beforehand that I should have done those things, but it wasn't a must. I didn't have to do them until it became painful enough. Um, and now ever since then, um, I mean, me and my wife, um, I mean, we've done, we've tried, we've, we experiment with different diets from time to time. We've done vegetarian. Um, we're fasters now. Uh, I work out for the most part, five days a week, unless it's raining for three days in a row. Um, and then my, my track outside, if you will, gets, you know, soaked out, but um, for the most part, you know, and that's something that helped because again, it became painful enough. And so what I what I always advise folks to do at that time is there's really sort of two ways you can approach this. Number one is you can wait. That is definitely a viable option. And, I, and I've actually had experience with this one as well, where 
it's not painful enough now, but at some point it will be, right? At some point it will become painful enough. And then they'll come back and say, hey, remember a year ago, two years ago, you said this was going to happen. Well, it happened, right? That's not the, yes, you want to high five yourself and say, I told you so, but don't do that, right? That's the time to go, yes, here's what I had proposed back then. I still think it's a viable option or here's what I propose instead. Um, alternatively, option two to this is bring that pain forward. So an example, again, just kind of from, from experience, there was a sales rep that I was working with. This is a few years ago now. And there was a sales rep I was working with. And at the time, um, his sales in particular had been on the decline for about 12 months, unfortunately. And I remember I, you know, him and I, I was, I was more in the operations side of things rather than sales, but I had sort of, you know, kind of felt the need to say something and kind of approach him. And so kind of you know, brought it up to him and I'm like, hey, man, yeah, we got to talk about sales and I'm kind of where you're at. And he was on a commission structure and we go through this whole thing. And, and by the end of it, he kind of seemed nonchalant about it. You know, like, it wasn't a big deal for him that, that sales, his sales were on the decline. Um, you know, they weren't even flat. They were on the decline. And, and I'm like, so I gave him some suggestions and said, OK, let's talk again in two weeks. Let's see what happens. Right. So two weeks comes by. He comes back in and I go, all right, how to go. Right. I'm ready to hear the progress. I'm ready to hear all these deals that he closed. And he comes back and he says, well, you know, I tried that one. I tried that other thing and they didn't really work. I'm like, okay, well, what'd you do after that? Oh, I mean, I, nothing. I, I just did what I always do. And I'm like, oh man, okay. Like, okay, so this still isn't a big deal. So I'm like, okay, let me, let's try some more things. Right. So we try a couple more ideas. Comes back two weeks later, same exact conversation. I'm like, okay, like, clearly this is painful for me. Remember, this is painful for me as the person looking at the data, looking at the numbers, but this isn't painful for him yet, the person who's influencing the data, the numbers. And so I end up, so looking at his commission structure and everything, I said, okay, let me, let's, let's do a quick exercise here. And so I had a whiteboard behind me at the time. And so I showed him, you know, where, Hey, you know, 13 months ago, here was your commission. 12 months ago, it was here. 11 months ago, 10 months ago, nine months ago. And I just do this line and I, and I draw a line through it. And, I, and now I forecast the next 12 months. And I say 12 months from now on your current trend, this is what your commission is going to be. And I don't know where that number was. I don't know where the line was that we crossed it in his commission. But there was a point in there where suddenly he lit up and he said, this has to change. Right. And so you can bring that pain forward. You know, if you can, again, visualize that, show that in some way um, is another way you can do it. But again, you, point being, it's when, when it becomes painful enough, that's when we change. That's when we change our businesses, our processes, ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I've always thought of that same type of uh, method is making it relatable to folks. Mm. Yeah, if they can personally relate to that story that you are trying to convey, then they're like, yes, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you've got to connect in their world on their terms. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much, Anthony, for coming on the show with us and sharing all of these wonderful stories. <laughs> thank you, Monica, for having me. Like I said, I saw your podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, and I just, I knew I had to, to, to talk to you. I, I really, yeah, this is a really cool show you've got. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> if any of the audience members have questions for you, where can they find it or follow you? Uh, LinkedIn is definitely best. That's probably where you're going to get most of You're going to see me most often. Um, so uh, I don't have like a webpage or anything. So LinkedIn connect with me there. That'll be best. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you again. And as always, folks. Happy learning. Bye, y'all.